music again. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the new degree, the comeback. In this triumphant return for the show, we'll tackle all things triumphant return. Whether it be Harrison Ford returning to his Star Wars role of Han Solo after 32 years, Harrison Ford returning to his Blade Runner role of Deckard after 35 years, or Harrison Ford returning to his Indiana Jones role after 19 years, and then again after 14 years. <laughs> A titanic struggle between our two teams lies ahead this evening. Each may look down on their luck, worse for wear, and generally like no hopers. But don't be deceived, for one is poised to make the greatest comeback since Lazarus, but the other may not ask to be come back at all. Ooh. Yeah, high stakes, I know, but it's thematic. I am a shambling facsimile of Ben Allen, and I'll be your host for this evening. I'm delighted to be here doing the new degree with all these lovely people after our absence of a couple of years. Primarily because the last episode of the show we recorded was just hours before we all went out to see The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and I just could not let us go out like that. <laughs> oh. So, uh, I'm joined here by uh, Nerd Degree Oligarch, uh, <laughs> Brendan Bennett. Brendan, how are you? Nice to be back. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. It is very exciting. Uh, Brendan will be looking after the scores tonight, so uh, but he does take bribes, I believe. Uh, and of course, two teams of nerds to my right and left. Uh, I'm going to get them to introduce themselves, and I'd like them to tell me and all of us uh, what is something that they would like to see come back. So, on my right, first of all, I'm Moasa. I'm a librarian and a writer. And the thing I would like to see come back is milk tokens. Aww. I mean, this would also necessitate the return of milk in uh, glass bottles and, and home and milk and delivery. delivery. Yes. Um, but you know, it's a uh, plastic-free July, so I think. Yeah. What do we make the milk, the milk tokens out of, though? Wood. Wood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Tomoas is left. Uh, yes. Uh, my name is Jeff Clark. I am an improviser, comedian, performer, and writer. And the thing I would like to see come back is physical comic book stores. Uh, Christchurch obviously has had a relatively rough time with physical buildings, uh, but in particular, the comic book shop. The comic book shop that used to be on Manchester Street. Uh, temporarily moved to be opposite a mall and then due to the uh, multiple hits of rents and COVID and everything like that now exists only as a conceptual place that occasionally texts me to say we've got comics. I miss going in and finding my monthly comic books. That's essentially what I'm saying. I'm, I'm all for graphic novels and things like that at the pop stops and things like that but I want a place where I can just read a comic book while it's on the shelf and decide to buy it. Most of them I don't but some of them I do <laughs> and that's what I want. Thank you Jeff for that extended plea for the plight of the small businessman. Yes. <laughs> so what's your, what's, what's your team name going to be tonight? Our team name is the Cover All Comeback, Yo Mama. Yo Mama, Yo Mama. give Yo Mama a huge round of applause. Uh, now the team on my left. Hello. Yes, that's you guys. Hello. Hi, I'm Andrew Todd. Uh, I am a... Uh, Unemployed arts contractor. <laughs> um, uh, um, yeah, let's not get into that. Um, uh, what, what would I like to come back? Um, uh, hope. Um, <laughs> uh, democracy. Um, yeah. Um, uh, no, I'd, I'd like to see Philip Seymour Hoffman come back. Oh. 
right. because I feel like there's a lot of misery to be explored in <laughs> cinema. That uh, as, as, a, as a zombie or as just a, an actual person? Um, well, ideally an actual person, okay. but yeah. like you know, if okay. you make do with what you can get. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great, right, yeah. either way. CGI Philip Seymour Hoffman. Let's <laughs> let's get them onto that. Uh, and to Andrew's left. Hello, my name is Erin Harrington. I'm an academic and an arts critic, and all I want to come back is snifters. Yeah. Yeah. Or failing that tangy fruits, but mostly snifters. And that, that's it. And snifters lumps are not oh, doing no, it. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Fun fact that I just uh, found out the other day is that you know how the earth has a crust and it has the mantle on the inside? Well, apparently, the uh, majority of the crust of the mantle of the earth it's is made of. Is it, no, it's, it's made up of peridot. And peridot is a pale green rock. Yeah, but which, you, you, which means the earth on the inside is a giant snifter. Yeah, but you can't throw the entire earth down the aisle of a cinema. No. <laughs> <laughs> Very difficult to do that. Point taken. Uh, Andrew and Aaron, what will your team name be this evening? We are not vulgar like mm. the other team. Okay. We are fancy. We are yeah. very fancy. So our team is L'Esprit de l'Escalier. Oh, L'Esprit de l'Escalier. Give them a huge round of applause. <laughs> I'm tempted to get you to explain that, but I'm just going to make people Google that at home. Uh, later. So we're going to the first round now, which is called the Nerd Quotient, uh, which is uh, where we uh, get into nerdy facts and things like that with a series of questions for the teams. L'Esprit de Scalier, I'm going to start with you with question one. Who has been played in a film by Christian Bale and also described as Britain's favourite grandmother? <laughs> <laughs> So the the, this is the the person that the person that's the same person they have right. been both played in a film by Christian Bale and described as Britain's favourite grandmother. <laughs> Christian Bale hasn't like had a guest spot on the Crown. <laughs> I, think that, I think they've gone through most British actors at this point, probably. But no. So I'm going to rule out Patrick Bateman. No. Uh, <laughs> and probably Batman. <laughs> Patrick Batman. Yeah, Yeah. Um, God. I have no idea. Uh, probably not the, the crack addict from The Fighter. Um, <laughs> um, um, he's uh, going to be struggling. Uh, the young mom, yeah. do you have any ideas on this one? Well, I mean, there is, an, there is an issue of Batman in the 60s where he did go to England and dress up as, and he had dressed up as an old lady. Uh, <laughs> is it really a thing? It was the 60s, man. Batman did some crazy shit. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, probably not that. Who do you think? Um, Delia Smith. Delia Smith. No, uh, in fact, we're looking for this man here. We should have a slide, hopefully. There he is, Dick Cheney. Oh, <laughs> uh, Seen here in this uh, file photo. Um, Wait a minute, Britain's How, favourite yeah, grandmother? From? So Dick Cheney, uh, Dick Cheney's was one of uh, multiple premature obituaries uh, that came to light on April 16, 2003 when it was discovered that these pre-written memorials to several world figures were uh, readily accessible on the development area of the CNN website. Uh, several of these contained fragments taken from uh, others, particularly the Queen Mother's, which was uh, used as a template. Uh, so Dick Cheney was described not only as the UK's favourite grandmother, um, but also the Queen Consort. <laughs> Does open up great scope for Christian Bale as Dick Cheney 
as the Queen Mother. As, <laughs> as, as, as yeah. Dick Cheney becoming an actor and playing the yeah. Queen Mother. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, here we have, this is his uh, 2001, he's uh, still kicking, of course. Um, premature obituaries are a, a bit of a thing. Um, does anybody know any other famous examples of, uh, of these? Uh, about a million of them on, t on Twitter. Yes. Um, um, Bill Bailey, quite recently, the, oh, really? the UK comedian. Oh. Um, Goldblum's been dead once or twice. Yes, mm. he has. Um, <laughs> P.T. Barnum, the, the circus guy. Uh, uh, There's one the, dead every minute? Yeah, well, then he, <laughs> his obituary was published when he was dying and he wanted to find out what people would say about him. Mm. So uh, the newspaper obligingly printed his obituary before he had actually died uh, with an acknowledgement that he was still alive at the time of its publication. Um, That's so him. Did he did yeah. he did he die like soon after that, or was there was it like oh no I'm fine again, and <laughs> yeah. it's just like this I mean, awkward period it where it's like oh yeah I, I know whatever. Um, I think it, I think it's only a couple yeah. of weeks. Um, there's a very notable one uh, uh, for Alfred Nobel. Does anyone know who uh, Alfred Nobel was? He he invented dynamite. Yes. Uh, and the Nobel Prize. The inventor of it. Exactly right, Aaron. You can have some points for that. Uh, so the death of Alfred Nobel's uh, brother Ludwig caused several newspapers to publish obituaries of Alfred instead. Oh. Um, he was the inventor of dynamite. Does anyone know what he was originally going to call dynamite? Boomsticks. Close. It was going to be called Nobel Safety Powder. Nobel <laughs> <laughs> Safety Powder? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's almost as good as so, the Nobel Peace Prize. So now, yeah, so he was a chemist and he, he invented not only dynamite, which was mostly civilian use, but a lot of military explosives and he owned an arms dealer. And so when, when the uh, French newspapers published his obituary before uh, he died, they said uh, the merchant of death is dead uh, and that Nobel became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. Uh, and Nobel read all this because he was still alive. And he was so distressed that this is what people thought of him, that he bequeathed his entire fortune uh, to founding the Nobel Prize, mm. uh, which is still, uh, of course, going on today. Um, and probably did end up better remembered, uh, except probably by his family, who only found out after he died that he had left his fortune to the prize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, so fake obituaries. Um, uh, okay, your mama, I've uh, got a question for you. Who recently yeah. proved that slow and steady might not necessarily win the race, but it might help to save it? The tortoise. The Ooh, humble yes. tortoise. You're on the right track. Slow track. Michelangelo, the ninja turtle. He seems like he's the slowest of the turtles, but he actually knows how to be pretty zen and chill. I'm going to give you a couple points then, and I'm, I'm going to immediately take them away for conflating turtles and tortoises. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have fingers and toes, Ben. I think it was a mislabel of the artists as opposed to the actual species. So Jeff's on the right track here. But, um, is, is this one of those last of their kind tortoises, well, but they took the semen and stuck it in a different egg and now almost, there's... You're almost on the right track here, guys. Uh, just last month, actually, uh, it was confirmed that a giant tortoise uh, found on the Galapagos Islands oh. is uh, Clenotus fantasticus. Um, fantasticus, what a great name. Yes, oh. he says what uh, scientists thought had died out a century ago. Um, they, they found it on uh, Fernandina Island uh, and to prove the link uh, they took samples from the female to compare to the remains of the male uh, that they last had found. Uh, the last sighting of the species has been in 1906. 
when some people from the California Academy of Sciences went over to the island, found a male of the species and properly killed it, because uh, oh. that's what you did in 1906. Uh, but they took the remains back, and so they had them at uh, Yale University, and they could do a genetic test on this one that they found uh, a little while ago. Yeah. And uh, yes, the species is still alive, so they're going to go back and look for more. They think there'd be more of them. Ecuador was very excited. Hope is alive. So if they asked the if they asked the tortoise, "Are you this species of tortoise?" Would it have stuck its head up and gone, "Not that it matters, uh, but yes." That's a deep that, cut, Jeff. That's a deep yeah. cut. But I saw a couple of people in the audience right. nodding, and I thank the people nodding who are listening at home. Don't okay. encourage him. Um, so some points here, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty close. Uh, L'Esprit Escalier, who taught us that you should never give up before the finish, especially if you finish? Oh. Uh, it, so who's, who's someone from, from, from Finland. Jerry Um... Uh, I, don't, I mean, obviously, there's Not like, l- like Neil Finn. <laughs> uh, is is it about athletics? It is. Is it about someone from <laughs> Finland who did athletics? It is. Um, who almost got to the end, but actually didn't. But everybody else dropped out of the race, so they. Oh my god, Erin, you're so close. And oh. in everyone's defence, I did put a question about sport into the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so I think this is probably as close as we're going to get. So. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about a guy here whose name is Lasseverin. Uh Here he is. Yeah, I'm totally. Would have here he is, that. falling over in the oh. Olympic 10,000 uh, uh, meter final of 1972. Oh, that's uh, yep. He I fell know. over <laughs> just before the halfway mark. Um, another guy, Tunis- you can't see him in this uh, photo, but the uh, Tunisian tripped over Lasseverin as well and gave up. Basically, he was like, "Oh, screw this." Uh, Lasseverin, however, got up. Kept running the race, ran everybody else down, and won the gold medal in a world record time. When you say ran Whoa. everyone else down, <laughs> yeah. are you saying ran them down? Uh, yeah. Well, he just he like he he just reeled in the leader despite falling in, and uh, it's, it's been called the, the greatest comeback in, in sports history by many people. Uh, yeah, in a world record. So who knows what he would have done if he hadn't fallen over? Well, maybe if he hadn't fallen over, he wouldn't have had like the, the impetus. Yeah. So to, I'll show them. To come back. Um, Can I just say I'm not loving the white shorts? No. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the 70s. Like it was a different time. Yeah, there's some definite yeah. movement um, yeah. been captured. For the here. listeners at home, we will now do audio description <laughs> captions. <laughs> no, 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 okay. Um, there are a lot of uh, uh, comeback in sports, of course. Uh, there's a couple of ones I, I found that the I think are worth mentioning. I don't like um, Charlton, in a second division football game in 1957, uh, was playing Huddersfield, and they were down 5-1 with 27 minutes to go, uh, and then they won 7-6. Uh, their left winger, who is this guy, he was a bit of a... Uh, I think we might have a slide of him here somewhere. Uh, Johnny Summers... Um, scored five goals and just for good measure he set up the other two goals uh, and he scored a set, uh, six minute hat trick uh, six and, minutes yeah and then people wow. asked him what had changed um, at uh, in the game and he said he changed his boots at half time because the old pair were falling apart <laughs> <laughs> And then presumably put on some magic ones. That's the yeah. way to get a pretty mean sponsorship deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and a cricket one here they have to put in because uh, the Black Caps recent World Test Championship win. Uh, in the, the county championship in 1922, uh, 
Um, batting second after Yorkshire made 223, uh, Hampshire was bowled out for 15. Oh. Uh, the top score was six. Uh, so they were following on 208 runs behind and uh, Warwickshire's uh, uh, captain, uh, FSG Kelthorpe, because that's what kind of name you had when you're an English cricketer of 922, was so confident that he suggested his team play a golf match in the time left over once they had won. And uh, the Hampshire captain, Lord Tennyson, yeah. <laughs> uh, who was Alfred Lord Tennyson's grandson, was like, screw this, Kelthorpe, I bet you £10 that we'll win. Uh, that's like kind of saying, well, I bet you a thousand bucks today. Right. Uh, and in their second innings, Hampshire made 521. Whoa! <laughs> uh, and then they bowled Warwickshire out for 158. So can they I, won can the... I just say that for the last two and a half minutes, all I've heard is white noise. Just white noise. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, now you may appreciate this, uh, Aaron. Um, Tennyson was one of the most English men imaginable. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote his uh, memoirs of the First World War, which included uh, the quote... Uh, when he returned after his second wound to the Western Front. I have never liked... Wounded in the Western Front? Yes. That's sort of painful. Oh. Um, yeah. I, have, I have never liked travelling light, and so, though the amount of kit I arrived with may, in fact, have aroused a certain amount of astonishment, I was quickly forgiven by my commanding officer, as well as by everyone else, when they found out that it included, among other things, a case of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> The last uh, gasp of the empire. Right? The yeah. English, yes. yes. Uh, all right, your mama. Uh, yes. <laughs> what was DTNF after putting Rip Van Winkle to shame recently? DTNF. <laughs> yeah. After putting Rip Van Winkle to shame recently. So, oh, so ah, oh, I think I know what this is. I'm I think I, I think it was. Uh, a 10,000-year-old microbe or bacteria that has been thawed from the permafrost. It was one of the original Black Death bugs. Is that correct? You are very it's, close. It's like, it's like they, they thawed out a tiny little single-celled organism that was frozen in the ice. Because if you find something in the ice and you're a scientist, apparently the thing to do now is thaw it out, out and see if it wakes up. That's, um, oh, you can have a lot of points for that. You're very close. So uh, research published about three weeks ago uh, has suggested that a microscopic multi-celled organism here called the Bedelloid Is that just a close-up of the white shorts? <laughs> <Yeah>. No, wait, no. <laughs> um, has been brought back to life not after 10,000 years, but 24,000 years. Did they ask it? Frozen into... Well, they did radiocarbon dating of it. Um, if you're trying to get a fix on your head, this, that means it was frozen about 14,000 years before the extinction of the saber-toothed tiger. Uh, oh, wow. So they dug it up, uh, in the Russian Arctic, it once thawed and it started wiggling around and then immediately reproduced asexually. Okay! Uh, and they immediately yeah. killed it with fire. Good news. Good news there. The previous research had estimated they could survive frozen for up to 10 years. Uh, so that, that got an update. Uh, um, yeah, so he said more research was needed to show how it achieved the feat, but you know, maybe don't. Maybe don't do can that. It, can it also mimic human beings? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, so that's, that's reading around somewhere in Russia right well, now. But neither meet human beings up until Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so well done, Jeff. You're pretty close. Well, on thank one. you. Uh, okay, the Spirit of Scalier, which all black. Oh, Christ. <laughs> what is... Oh. You're going to you're think... No, you've got to think laterally on this one. Which All Black became a Kiwi hero by having as much sex as possible on an island retreat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about the Black Robin. 
Give Erin a round of applause, everybody. Heroic sexual efforts of a very small amount. <laughs> yes, of let's see. We're gonna we got a picture there. Yeah. Oh. Look. Oh, Sexy Robert. They come back from like twenty something. Even less. Even less. So now we've now got two hundred and fifty. Uh, in 1980, we had five. Wow. We had five. They were all on. Uh, uh, Little Mungary Island and the Chathams. Did they all sit around and go, oh god, it's your turn tonight? <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't have to because there was only, there were only five left and there was only one fertile female and her name was her name was Old Blue. That's Handmaid's Tale business. And oh, she yeah. just she just went to work. Here is Old Blue. This is Old Blue herself. Oh. She looks fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was. <laughs> so Old Blue Old Blue and her partner, whose name was Old Yellow, uh, the male, <laughs> Old Yellow, uh, like every every Chatham Island Robin today uh, that exists descended f from them. Um, well, that's a problem because they've got no genetic diversity, yeah. yes, well, so they're really susceptible. See, this to is a problem, and uh, one of the problems they had when they were uh, Doc was obviously hev heavily managed uh, looking after them, and they found that a lot of the females were laying eggs on the rims of the nest. And the dock rangers were like, uh-oh, this is no good. And they, they started pushing them back to the nest so the birds would survive. And then they realised that because the population was so uh, small that they were breeding this gene of laying eggs on the, the rim yes. of the nest. And it went through 50% of the population. And they were like, oh, no, we have to stop doing this because otherwise they'll never be able to look after themselves. And so they had to sit there and watch them die. Um, but subsequently they fixed that problem and now only about 9% of them... Yeah, they, they put up tiny little razor wire. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, so absolute Kiwi champion, um, uh, Old Blue, uh, died in 1983 at the age of 13, and she was probably pretty tired, to be fair. <laughs> um, does anyone know, so, does anyone know what, how many humans we need to keep going if we end up in a situation like the Chatham Island Robin? Who's to maintain genetic diversity. People have to work these things out, yeah, because, for example, if we want to put a lot of people on a spaceship and go uh, and see them in the 16. World. 16. <laughs> 16. A couple hundred. A couple hundred. 10,000. 10,000? 10,000. Humans are a lot more I have to make a phone call to 15 of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was earlier thought that maybe it was as few as 150, but as we found out more about genetics, uh, you need to get diversity, and they've already found that, for example, in insular groups like the Amish, where there's a lot of intermarriage, um, genetic diversity has made otherwise rare diseases such as cystic fibrosis uh, common. But that's why Iceland has such big genetic records and family tree records too, so that yes. you don't end up with So you don't end up marrying your cousin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've got a special app mm. that's like... It's like Tinder, but it, it Tinder, but with lets you know if you're yeah. hooking up with your second cousin. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like you can play, but you can't mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, find you find your closest nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine friends because that's what we need to keep going uh, as humans. Not like old blue who revived the whole population by herself. Um, you want one with this last question, then this round is for you. Why in the Victorian period might being the person for whom the bell tolls be a good thing? Um, because you would no longer have to live in Victorian England. <laughs> which was known for many problems. It was. Um, uh, you'd get to wake up in the morning? Was it the lunch bell? Was it the lunch bell? Not the for lunch whom bell. it tolled? It was, although no. I'm sure it did, did toll for some people. Um... 
If you were a bell ringer, does that mean that you still had a job? Or someone was. There's always work in bell ringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's a solid career. Uh, Andrew made a noise. He's he's fidgeting. I'm pretty sure I know this. Okay. Um, uh, It's because when they would, uh, because they found that either like people were afraid of being buried alive, or they actually got buried alive, and so they started burying people with a little string like leading from inside the coffin up to a bell on the surface. So if you got buried alive, you could ding the bell and they'd come and dig you up. Andrew Todd is 100% correct. <laughs> the safety coffin. There it is. Yeah. Safety <laughs> coffin. Um, the Victorians were terrified of being buried alive. They, uh, they had this, this fear peaked around the, the cholera epidemics of the, the 19th century. Uh, and stories like by uh, Edgar Allan Poe and people like that, this persistent fear of, of dying um, alive. And so, yeah, they... they <laughs> dying alive? alive? Yeah. Most people dying, dying alive. alive. It's a um, Fiji song. It'd be really good for, like, women who were trying to look after 12 children and extended family and they just wanted a rest. Yeah. <laughs> they could go and be buried for a bit and when they were finished, they could ding the bell. Sorry, <laughs> Mummy's dead, Mummy's yeah. dead for a yeah. while. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was P.G. Pessler, a German priest, who first suggested in 1798 that all coffins have a tube inserted from which a cord would run to the church bells. Oh, and wow. they went, the church bells? Yeah, that's a went, loud bell. Hang on, this is a slightly impractical idea. So they came out with the safety coffin... Uh, uh, using a bell which would alert the cemetery night watchman, uh, the corpse would have strings attached to its hands, head, and feet. Uh, can, you, can anybody foresee a drawback with this? Suspense? Yes. Yes. Uh, during the throes of rigor mortis and decomposition, bells would start a rigor. That's right. Uh, uh, during the pers- processes of decay, which caused the body to swell or shift position, often rang the bells. So a few false positives where Surprise. people would go, oh my god, he's alive, he's alive. Very much not alive. Not alive. <laughs> not alive. He's alive not with alive. the sound of micros. On the bright side, they could read their obituary. Um, <laughs> I think my favourite version is, this, is the, the Germans in the 1820s came up with something called a portable death chamber. Um, <laughs> uh, Love the careful, Germans. Careful, careful, yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a small chamber equipped with a bell for signalling, of course, but also a window for viewing the body. It was constructed over an empty grave. Uh, and watchmen would check each day for signs of life or comp- decomposition in each of the chambers. And if they observed that putrefaction was, uh, was happening, they would just pull a lever and the body would drop into the grave. <laughs> and then they would just carry on using it. Um, so, unfortunately, there are no documented cases of anybody ever being saved by a safety coffin. So all those Victorians uh. were buried. Um, so, um, that's... That's the end of the new question round. There was a lot of points going on, Brendan. Going, uh, what what happened uh, school-wise in that round? Well, before we get to that, I'd just okay. like to add a little bit of uh, nerd degree trivia. Yeah, okay. Um, because uh, I always edit the podcast, and then we release it like a week and a bit later. Um, there's been several times where I have had to add a, an apology or a comment at the start <laughs> because someone we've talked about during the episode, has died in that week. Yeah. Um, Stephen Hawking. Most recently, we did a whole thing about Stephen Hawking. Um, Anyway, I just want to remind everyone, this started with a question about Dick Cheney. (laughs) Okay. Now... (laughs) Well, Rumsfeld just died, so... Knock on wood. Okay. Uh, So, uh, your mama is on ten points. But going off like Nobel safety powder, L'Esprit de Scalier on 19 points. Give me a Okay. 
Okay, so that um, uh, that uh, talk of uh, premature death is going to take us on to oh. the next round, which is uh, called Bad for Your Elf. Uh, now, in Bad classic. for Your Elf, a classic nerd degree round. And I just like to, I want to just take a minute to explain Bad for Your Elf because uh, Brenda did this in the first the first version of the show. And the idea behind Bad for Your Elf was that he came along with a list of names from uh, Tolkien, uh, Tolkien uh, names of elves. And uh, we would read them out, and the other team had to guess if they were real or not. Uh, that's the only reason that it was called Bad for Your Elf. And yet it's still called Bad for Your Elf <laughs> 85 shows later for absolutely no reason at all. Yeah. And I think that's Coming great. up with names for games is tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the only one that stuck. I don't know why. So, um, so uh, I'm going to give you guys this sheet over here. Um, oh, thank as you. I said, the Victorians had this problem. But medical science really just didn't quite know how to tell if you were dead or not. Um, this is why the, 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 uh, the, the fear of premature uh, burials arose. And they came up with several ways in the, um, the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries to try and test if somebody were dead. So I've just handed Yo Mama a uh, list of actual methods that were used to check, if, to confirm that someone was dead. And uh, they're going to read some out, and they might slip in the occasional fake one. And, uh, and L'Esprit Escalier, I want you to tell us if you think they're real or false. So take it away, team. Putting a slice of white bread on the mouth. I... <laughs> what sort of white bread? Like sandwich Does it say toast, just white bread, homemade. Uh, wait, which mm. which time period are we talking about? Uh, this is uh, this is uh, both 17th and 18th centuries, and okay. a little bit of 19th Sliced century. Sliced bread. Yeah. I'm I'm going to say that it's true, and I have no justification <laughs> for that whatsoever. Well and Marta, that's completely false. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Marta sliced bread a, didn't exist that early. With a fake one straight out of the gate, which is always You'd a tricky, have a tricky on the maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. Just put a whole loaf. Putting their finger in your ear. <laughs> like a, like a wet willy. <laughs> yes. I mean the wet willy is it is proven yeah. to get a response from It is proven to even so no, 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 response taking their finger and putting it in your ear. The oh. you mean the you mean the corpse's, the corpse's, corpse's finger, finger in your ear. Oh. The, wait, so the possible wait. corpse. So I'm so so <laughs> I'm trying to check if someone's okay, so, dead. So I'm the dead body. I get there so yeah. and I'm like, is this guy dead? This I can't you get tell. Finger, I get the finger and do that. And you can tell if he's dead. I'm gonna say I'm Is this recently dead or is this like putrefaction? It could be slightly alive. It's just, just not alive. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm gonna say that. Uh, okay, I was gonna I was gonna say it's true because like you'd be like, can you hear their pulse? But I'm pretty sure you can't. Like the only pulse you'd be hearing is your own pulse. But I'm, I'm willing to say that. Yeah, real. Yeah. yeah, it's real. It is real. It is real. Yeah. yeah, it is real. Um, Dr. Lacan Cologne method. Uh, <laughs> He argued that the involuntary muscle movements oh. of a living person's finger would create a buzzing sound in the <laughs> ear of a trained physician. And having come up with this theory, he later went on to claim that listening to fingers could even be used to detect certain diseases. Ooh. This seems this seems ridiculous though, because you can you can listen to fingers anytime <laughs> and tell if there's a buzzing noise. <laughs> yep, so that was that was a real method. Uh, let's do some more guys. Um, <sighs> yanking the tongue. I mean, maybe they were just doing it anyway. 
Why? I mean, uh, it depends on what they died of. Because if the tongue had all yeah. swollen up, then you'd, yeah. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the way that we think about death in the twenty first century as yeah. gross and yucky, and the way people have thought about death in the past as just a part of life. Or maybe still alive. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with tugging on a dead person's tongue. I do have a okay, problem so with it, but, but, but it's real. <laughs> I'm going to say it's real. Let's say it's real. Yeah. It is real, yeah. yes. Uh, the man behind that idea, Dr. Lavord, uh, even invented and patented a specific tongue-yanking device. But no, that's the only reason, though, is that he wanted to patent something. He wanted the yeah. money from tongue-yanking. Yeah. Uh, he claimed if you pull on the tongue of someone for three hours... Yeah. <laughs> three hours?! And they didn't revive, they were definitely dead. <laughs> we don't know, though, the level of drunkenness at the time, too, though. So maybe that was reasonable. We'll do a couple more, guys. Okay. Um, mercury of the chest. See, that would be good, because you'd be breathing and it would be moving around. But it could also be that you're yeah. putrefying and, and it's moving around. Yeah. Um, I just, they I, did love to do shit with mercury. I just want all of these to be real. Yeah. It's real. Um, uh, no, are you are you? I'm, un- I'm skeptical. You're, um, you're skeptical about the powers of mercury. I'm skeptical about uh, Jeff being honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, it's, it's up to you, Andrew. Uh, it's fake. It is fake. It is fake. Oh. Oh, so close. Close, Jeff. You almost just can't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one more. Bringing their pet to them and seeing if the pet howls. I mean, it's, it's a dog in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> it would be weird if a cat mm. howled. Or a goldfish, even. Yeah. A, a, a turtle slash tortoise. Yeah. Yeah. Is this to like. Is it, yeah, and it's like, is the howl the affirmative or the negative? Is, is the howl the who's going to feed me now? Yeah, or is the or howl like, the, oh no, my, my but, or human's thank dead. goodness this person who's abused <laughs> me. The pit starts years, eating the corpse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a better, yeah. that's a better indication. I, I don't know, what do you reckon? I'd say, uh, yeah. Does it have to be a pit or just like any animal? Like it doesn't matter because I made it up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to start interrogating these a bit more. I can't trust <laughs> either of them. Very good. So yeah. some points there. Brendan, has that uh, changed the score a lot? Not a lot. Not I a mean, lot. A, a bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, the favourite one I had that we didn't get mentioned was the Germans, for much of the second half of the 19th century, thought it was a great idea to ram a needle with a flag on it into your heart. <laughs> Were you like claiming, of, claiming how big, Just to make sure that you're dead. How, how big is the flag <laughs> in the this scenario? The theory was that uh, if you were alive, the beating movement of the heart would unfurl the flag and the flag would wave. But... Or just the, the power of the patriotism yeah. 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 Or, bring you back to life. I can think of it like those tiny little flags that stick in steaks at like Denny's or Coca-Cola. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in the burger. Yeah. One um, of those little parasols. Yeah. 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 Very good. Can we, can we talk about plastic animals and number nine? Oh, tobacco, tobacco <laughs> enema. That yep. was also a thing where people used to come up with. Um, it Holding was, a candle under the finger. It was thought that uh, that if you literally blew smoke up somebody's ass, <laughs> uh, it, would, it would warm the body uh, and while stimulating the uh, instinct to breathe, Unfortunately, the process more often just ended up infecting the person that was blowing smoke down there yeah. with cholera. <laughs> uh, 
so that was uh, amazingly that's not I looked it up but amazingly that's not where the phrase blowing smoke up your ass comes from <laughs> unrelated um, okay so we're now going to go on to the first of uh, our homework rounds uh, for tonight I've been asking uh, our nerds tonight what they would like to reboot uh, what property they would like to see come back in a new form so let's start with Moata yes. uh, what, what are you going to reboot um so a few years ago there was a New Zealand web series called Baby Mama's Club. I don't know if anybody watched that. Oh, that's great. This is going to go really well. Um, but it basically involved um, a group of women trying to track down a guy named Johnny who had a terrible habit of getting people pregnant and they're being really useless. Uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we reimagined Star Trek, like original series Star Trek, but yeah. instead of following the exploits of James Tiberius Kirk... Where you could give some attention to all the female characters that he put the moves on over the years. And so instead of it being a van driving around the far north, they'd be in a spaceship cruising through space, bonded together in their shared desire to kick Kirk and the Tribbles. <laughs> <laughs> it's sisterhood, it's motherhood, it's parenting in space. Mm. You never see that kind of stuff. It's like, it's like um, Star Trek invented the genre of spaceships. And and then mm. every other show has basically just done the same kind of thing. Yeah, um, so um, and we get to find out about all their interesting backstories, and some of them are human, and some of them are green. <laughs> some of them have Kirk babies, and some of them are not strictly heterosexual. Um, and I should mention at this point, when I was just doing a little bit of research, that there are way, way too many pages on the internet devoted to documenting in excruciating detail, like, just how many women Kirk, you know, Mac on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, did yeah. or did not knock bones with. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, to the level of, oh, well, he kissed her, but he wasn't really doing it because he was interested in her. Um, yes, he flirted <laughs> with her, but uh, we can't prove that they definitely had sex. It's just, like, <laughs> um, So I'm imagining the opening credits would be, would have a spoken preamble, and I've been watching a lot of Money Heist, so I'm very into, like, <laughs> women narrating everything. Uh, yeah. um, like, I watched four seasons of Money Heist in as many weeks. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you just imagine, we open on a star field. Would you oh, like some theremin music in the background? Just, just quietly, just to start with. Yep. A woman's voice says, space. That's what he said he needed. <laughs> <laughs> These are the voyages of the Starship Sisterhood. It's ongoing mission to chase down James T. Kirk. To seek out child support payments. To remind Deadbeat Dad of where he's boldly gone before. <laughs> Watch her, everybody! That was awesome. You can have, I'd watch that. I would watch yeah. the fuck out of that. Yeah. that. Uh, okay, the next round uh, is called the John Wilkes Memorial Round. <laughs> uh, AKA. Just, just John Wilkes? John Wilkes. Like just John, John Wilkes. Wilkes. I know you are, but what am I? Here oh. is John Wilkes. Oh, oh, he's um, uh, very cross-eyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so John Wilkes was an 18th century British radical journalist and politician. He uh, was a member of parliament in 1757 and famous for his verbal jousting skills. Oh. Uh, despite being known notoriously as Britain's ugliest man. <laughs> his charm carried all before it. He himself boasted he could defeat any rival for a woman's affections with a month's start 
of my rival on account of my face. Uh, perhaps most f uh, famously, though, in an exchange with Don John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, who was mad with uh, Wilkes, frustratedly exclaimed, Sir, I do not know whether you will die upon the gallows or of the pox. Wilkes is reported to have come straight back with, That depends, my lord, on whether I embrace your lordship's principles or your mistress. Oh. <laughs> Boom! Burn! Yeah! So, in, in honour of uh, the sweet burns of John Wilkes, uh, <laughs> I've gone through and I've found some of the great comebacks in history. Uh, I'm going to start saying them. Um, I want to set you up with the start and uh, ding in if you know what the comeback was. Uh, if nobody knows it, I'll finish it off and then maybe we can guess at who said it. So, more points if you can... Uh, if you can think of who, uh, what the comeback was. Drunk man. I can't bear fools. Yogi Bear replies with, Well, you can't fool bears. Don't, don't laugh. Brennan, please take five points from Jeff. Uh, no, the don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> I made someone leave the room. <laughs> No, the drunk man said, uh, I can't bear fools, and the comeback was, apparently your mother could. Does anyone know who that was? No? It was, it was Dorothy Parker, oh. uh, the critic and uh, writer. She was very, very witty uh, lady. Uh, I've made a bet against a fellow who said it was impossible to get more than two words out of you. <laughs> Jeff. You lose. Yes, Jeff! Yes! <laughs> I have no idea who said it. <laughs> it was Kelvin Coolidge, uh, the oh. US president. Very cool. Coolidge. You lose. Was that in a presidential debate? Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was at a White House dinner. Mm. Yes. Uh, if I was your wife, sir, I would poison your coffee. Jeff. Madam, if I, if I was your husband, I would drink it. Yes, mm. that's right. You know Winston that Churchill. It was Winston Churchill. Yeah. Uh, this could almost uh, be named after Winston Churchill as well this round. Um, what do you think of Western civilization? Jeff. I'll let you know when I find some. Oh, very close. That would uh, be nice. It was Gandhi, and he said, I think it would be a good idea. Ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, upon being called two-faced in a debate, I leave it to my audience. If I had another face, do you think I would wear this one? Kodos. No, Kang! <laughs> Close. It, no. Was, it was Abraham Lincoln. Ah. <laughs> um, a drunk man pulls out his genitals and demands that this person autograph them. <laughs> they reply. No. Oh. <laughs> How about I initial it? Jeff is on fire. Oh. <laughs> He's just thinking the best. Right? Yeah, it was Truman Capote. He said, I don't know if I can autograph it, but perhaps I can initial it. <laughs> <laughs> After being interrupted on honeymoon by the editor to ask why they were late with a book review, the reply came so, back... So, so th that is the, yeah. is the no, prompt? This, okay. this is the prompt, and the reply came back via telegram, I believe, and it said, I'm too fucking busy, and vice versa. <laughs> was that Dorothy Parker again? It was Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker. After learning someone had ten children, this person said, Why so many children? And this person with ten children said, Well, I love my wife. And the reply was, 
Uh, Groucho Marx saying, I love my cigar, but I take it out of my mouth once in a while. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> 100%. Correct. And lastly, why are you so fat? Why are you so stupid? Not quite. Why are you so ugly? Oh, that's quite good. Uh, your, your mom gives me a lolly every time I fuck her. Very close, Jim. Oh. Every time I sleep with your wife, she gives me a biscuit. There we go. Uh, that was uh, the fast bowler Edo Brandis to the fast bowler Glenn McGrath. Sledging in a one day yeah. international between Australia and Zimbabwe. Um, Jeff was on fire in that round. It yes, really was it. a round tailor made for Jeff. <laughs> I think I think Jeff didn't know a lot of the answers, but was just able to discern them. Yeah, in his yeah. head. I just thought, what would I say if I had <laughs> if I had time pressure and was not actually in the scenario of direct confrontation? Uh, has it seen your mama make? Yeah, despite being docked five points. Yeah, uh, oh I still brought them into the lead. Oh well. Yeah, yeah give your mama a round of applause there. <laughs> oh wait, wait! This is a, this is a show about comebacks. We've made the worst possible strategy. <laughs> Bad no. to be in the lead. Duh. Okay, let's go some more homework. Uh, Andrew, what have you got to us? We need a reboot. Yeah, uh, well, most reboots are of, like, movies and TV shows and comic books and, and, and such like, but I want to reboot um, one of our favorite household products. Uh, I want to reboot, reboot cornflakes. Mm. Um, and I want to really get back to the roots of cornflakes. <laughs> <laughs> As as a bland, uh, low protein diet um, to discourage masturbation. (laughs) Um, So we're going to uh, we're going to kind of douse the cornflakes in um, uh, anti androgens to to lower the libido. (laughs) And uh, every like you know how sometimes you might get like uh, a little a, a little toy in the box. Um, of, of breakfast cereal. Um, we're going to put um, uh, anti-masturbation rings in there, um, which are like little, uh, basically, they're, they're like metal rings with spikes pointing <laughs> inwards uh, to discourage erections. Well, what about the women, Andrew? Um, well, I mean, you know, if we go back to uh, the Victorian era um, and Kellogg, the inventor of... Um, uh, cornflakes. Um, I think he would tell you that uh, women are just too pure to masturbate. Yeah, <laughs> they just don't do it. Uh, and we don't understand how they would if they wanted to. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so coming, coming this summer. Uh, no, not you. Not, not you. Uh, but um, uh, yes. Uh, so cornflakes origins. Um, low protein in, low protein out. <laughs> Andrew Chow, everybody, yes. Um, yeah, Sanitarium might go in for that as well. Right? <laughs> that might be king. Um, okay, the next round is called uh, Later This Running and Screaming. Uh, brought to us by this man here. We have to have there he is, oh. Jeff Goldblum, uh, the man himself. Uh, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but I, I just found this out uh, funny out for the show. But this pose from Jurassic Park, he recreated last year as a, a thank you to people who yes, he did. registered to vote. <laughs> yeah, he did. So yeah, 
good on uh, Jeff Goblin's uh, Yeah, so that take, brings us to Jurassic Park. Now, science tells us Jurassic Park is likely, sadly, impossible uh, because any dinosaur DNA we find will be too degraded. Uh, but there are other active de-extinctifying projects underway for important reasons, mm. not just to have a dinosaur disaster. Um, Harvard University's George Church, for example, the lead researcher working on a project to de-extinct the mammoth, says that bringing them back could help convert the Arctic tundra back to grasslands that existed during the last ice age because uh, they and other large herbivores trampled across the ecosystems, maintaining the grasslands by knocking down trees um, <laughs> and spreading seeds. And when, uh, when they disappeared, the ecosystem transitioned to today's mossy tundra and tiger that melts really fast, releasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So he wants to bring back the mammoth to fight global warming. Legitimately. Wow. Um, Love it. So, yeah, he's like, you know, if it's not... He, there's a quote, uh, like, if it's just going to be a zoo animal, then forget it. <laughs> no, he wants to make serious um, climate change uh, with mammoth. So, um, I've asked the team to think a little bit about um, what extinct animals they would like to bring back and what useful purposes they would serve for us um, uh, when they when they got back here. So um, maybe let's start with L'Esprit de Scalier. Do you have any ideas about this? Yeah, so I actually have colleagues at the university who work in this field in terms of like the, the philosophical ethics of the oh. extinction or what can we learn from uh, historical records about all that sort of stuff. Um, and what they have to say about that is far more sensible than what I have to say, which is bring back Hast's eagle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so there are, there are a few reasons for this. Firstly, largest eagle. Secondly, yep. like the, the female eagle was up to 15 kilos and had this two and a half to three metre wingspan. It's quite a short wingspan in comparison to the body because it was hunting through scrubland. And that was because it was hunting more who were up to like 230 kilos or so. Um, massive talons and so on. And they went extinct because the more went extinct because they're hunted and they had no food or so whatever else. But just thinking about what you're saying about, you know, ecological reasons is that initially I thought, well, our airspace is pretty free at the moment. So maybe we could just like race them or ride them oh, or yeah. fight them or stuff. But maybe we could use them and uh, pit them against people who are ostentatiously driving oversized SUVs. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would watch that show as well. <laughs> uh, Andrew, Andrew, do you have any ideas about what we yeah, want to Yeah, um, I want to bring back uh, ground sloths. Um, yeah. Not um, not not ground sloth, yeah. which is uh, which is uh, like, like we, we're not bringing back ground sloths to make ground sloth. Um, we, uh, but particularly the giant sloth, which uh, weighed over four tons and it was uh, got up to six meters long. Really, really big. <laughs> fucking sloth um, and uh, so it's like so it didn't live in trees it lived in caves um, and you can actually still um, find um, giant sloth uh, feces in caves uh, because uh, we hunted them out so recently uh, and uh, I, I it's a pretty specific reason that I want to bring them back doesn't really help humanity but I just I just want to give sloths like a positive role model like, like normal sloth, like yeah. Because you see them, and they're always to. they're always just kind of moping around. <laughs> and I reckon, like, you get a giant sloth in there who, like, you know, walks on the ground, is really big, and they'll be inspired to like get just, it together. Yeah, it'll give them some get ambition. Get out of their mother's you know? basement. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think that's to gigantic important. size. 
Because, you know, they, you know, in, <laughs> in their natural form, they're very athletic. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I can, I can like buy that. that. That's, that's aspiration. Yeah, let's yeah. give Andrew yeah. a round of applause as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys can have a, a number of points. Oh, thanks. A number. Uh, guys, what would you like to bring back over here in your mama? Uh, well, you didn't specify that it had to be a real animal, so I would like to bring back... <laughs> In my defence, it makes it harder to bring back if it's not, not a real animal. No, 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 but hear me okay. out. All right. I would like to bring back Little Ted, um, <laughs> who, if you're not aware of the story, at mm. the end of the run of play school in New Zealand, they had a big party, crazy yeah. party, yeah. and uh, his head got like blown off. Little Ted lost like, his head. Like, lost yeah. his head, and I would like to see little Ted's head reattached. Yeah. And We're the purpose, school. because he's cute, and yeah. because I'm very nostalgic for my childhood. Well, I'd yeah. be a real boost to national morale. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if we're talking about national morale, I want the moa to come back. Right. Uh, we're going very patriotic, mostly because there'd be a food source for the Haast Eagle. But uh, <laughs> not just that, I think in terms of a national bird, like the Kiwi's all well and good, but it's a relatively small, rotund, nocturnal creature. And having a badass, basically battle ostrich would be <laughs> pretty awesome for New Zealand to have. I think as a food source, it's amazing. Like KFC would be in touch super fast. We'd have a massive source of income. Um, and we'd get a lot of MOA money, which would probably lead to MOA problems. But um, we could also use them as an alternative transportation source so we could have ride-on MOAs. And um, I just think that it would be um, Aotearoa. Yo, MOA, everybody. A number of points here, I think, as well, Brendan. <laughs> yes, I. Uh, you're good. Uh, the, actually, the Halo video game series has uh, a thing with That's right. uh, Moa burgers in the background. They've there's there's people on Reddit who have been like, um, like, is, are, are Moas real in New Zealand? Do they have Moa burgers there? <laughs> like, we do have Moa burgers, and we're not allowed to have gardens. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Give us a score update, Brennan. Well, this is very exciting. Okay. Both teams are tied on 32 points each. Oh. Everything to play for in the last few rounds here. Mm. Pressure thus goes on to Jeff. Right. Because we want to hear about Jeff's reboot, what he would like to bring back. Okay. My reboot. Uh, cast back your minds. None of you were alive then. But <laughs> in 1968, there was a flurry of TV shows that used a revolutionary technique called supermarionation. Uh, pioneered by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, it included shows like Thunderbirds, Stingray, Captain Scarlet and the Misterons. But there is one show that has been criminally overlooked. I am referring, of course, to the show Joe 90. An amazing show about nine-year-old Joe McLean, who was experimented on by his adoptive father, Dr. Mac, with the big rat experimental technology, where he could be temporarily implanted with the brain patterns of any other human being and became a most special agent for the World Intelligence Network, or WIN, and got to go on a special mission. So what would happen is Dr. Mac would scan the brains of an expert without their will or consent, and then 
upload their brain patterns onto the nine-year-old Joe, who would then go on a variety of fun adventures, including flying experimental aircraft, performing neurosurgery, transporting dangerous toxic chemicals, psychologically torturing a billionaire, and blowing up an arms dealer with a grenade. Now, I think we're overdue for a return of this show. And so... I have uh, a number of ideas as to how we could reboot the series of Joe 90. Okay, so the first one is that this technology has become very widespread and people's brain patterns can be uh, transported from one person to another over long distances. So in the future, instead of using the, like, the temporary glasses that Joe did, it's downloaded onto a thing called a cortical stack. And so people wear bodies like sleeves. And so their bodies are no, transmitted please, across. No. What, yeah, sorry? What? Is, that's no. Altered yeah, that's no, altered. I watched it on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. No, no, no. Now, the ability to provide, uh, wipe someone's brain and provide a new set of memories is exploited by um, a, a, a rather amoral corporation no, that keeps that these people. What's, I've seen it too. No, 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 this time it's a woman. Her name is Echo. She doesn't have any memories until she starts getting memories and yeah, then she like, has to fight out. It's about it's, female empowerment. She, like, but it's got a, the, the pink pill versus the purple pill, that kind of thing. Oh, right, okay, okay, okay. How about this? Um, Joe accidentally <laughs> downloads the entire CIA database and Kung Fu skills and is partnered up with a really hot Australian actress. And then he fights in a piece of wish fulfillment for nerds yeah. everywhere. We could get like a goofy 20 something. Okay, um, how about people could just learn Kung Fu by getting it plugged into the back of their head and then they could yeah, fight really done. Jeff, okay, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I just Googled Joe 90 and. It just basically looks like you. <laughs> Don't tell me how to build my life, Brendan! Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Jeff Clark, everyone. <laughs> Why is learning things so hard? You'll, you'll get there one day, Jeff. Yep. Right. Uh, now, the next round, I thought to myself, uh, this is the comeback show of the new degree, and we should really bring back an old round that we haven't played for a long time, and... I, I thought to myself about which was the best round, and I s selected the objectively best round from the new degree. One of my own invention. Uh, oh. Many years ago. And, Is this um, the one where your kids describe dinosaurs? No, I've, oh. it's it's uh, it's a very simple round, and uh, and what happens in it is I uh, describe a uh, fictional character, and uh, then the uh, contestants buzz in and tell me if that part could be pulled off. By Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh. Um, okay. Now this, this, and I would tell them if they were objectively correct or not. Um, this round is called "Can You Smell What the Rock Is Booking?" Yeah. Um, now, when I created this round, the objectively best round in nerd degree history, people said to me, "Ben, that's not fair. That's just your opinion, man." Like, Specifically, I said. Yeah. <laughs> said you can't just like tell people they're wrong when they say that the rock can't play Robin Hood and <laughs> and I thought okay that's fair enough I guess it is if I am the one person who is in charge of objectively telling me if they're right about the rock's acting abilities it's not fair so that's why this time around we're making Brendan the person who will, <laughs> who will objectively tell the players if they're right about their opinion on Dwayne Johnson so Brendan's got some uh, some parts that he wants to, t and, uh, you guys are going to buzz in and tell him if The Rock can feasibly play those roles or not. I'm going to do this properly. Though. Okay, so alright. So okay. take notes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Willy Wonka. Absolutely, because he is someone who appears to be like kind of scary to children, 
but then is actually really good in like kids movies with just that mm. one kid who he has to make that heart to heart connection with mm. and also clearly he's eating a lot of shit so I think, I, think it, I think it'd be amazing plus he'd just like smash the crap out of the great glass elevator at the end yeah. <laughs> you're correct but for the wrong reason <laughs> uh, so uh, Dwayne Johnson claims that he was Tim Burton's second choice for the oh. role yeah. <laughs> Brendan's done more research thought, on this than I ever did. I thought Tim Burton's second choice for any role was just ask Johnny Depp again. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones. Well, I actually, I'm going to say no. Sorry, I need to butt in because he's too big to get under the thing as it's coming down and he goes to grab his hat, he gets stuck, he's too jacked. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think he could be because then the rock that was rolling after the rock would be A, an incredible visual pun, uh, but also B, it would give him an opportunity to stand there and punch it and crack it open. I think he's got the sardonic the sardonic ability and in the upcoming movie Jungle Cruise which is set in around about the time, right time period he has that sort of devil may care casual Harrison Ford attitude Aaron is correct okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a movie based on the life of Melville Dewey <laughs> librarian what do you reckon I say no I say no because Melville Dewey was terrible sexist racist misogynist Awful person, as well as, you know, you know. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson would never play that sort of character. No, it's not his brand. No, no, it's not his brand at all. Well, Martin, you're right, but again, for the wrong reason. <laughs> uh, it would bring back too many memories of his childhood nickname, which was Dewey, because of his wet uh, underpants. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. The Six Million Dollar Man. No, but that's because he would charge six billion. Yeah, inflation. Yeah. No, because um, I just don't see how you could fit any implants in there. <laughs> um, the answer is yes, because it would be his final revenge against his rival, Stone Cold Steve oh, Austin. Of course. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's a cut. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I get the sense that pot isn't his drug. Okay. Um, Clarification: Voice or act or f his actual body? Uh, both. Okay, he would be he would be able to do the voice acting for it. I think he's got a very versatile voice. Uh, physically, <laughs> he's not shaggy at all. It isn't him. I think you could cast him as shaggy. You just need to have everyone else be like some kind of CGI creation that, in comparison, makes him look <laughs> like shaggy. Uh, the, the correct answer is no, because Matthew Lillard nailed that role, and yeah, no one else had ever played it. It's true. He is objectively the best yeah, person yeah, for the yeah. job. He is the best Shaggy. Um, uh, Shaggy Prime. Cannon from Baywatch. Oh, what? Just, like, he'd be perfect. He's already appeared in a movie adaptation of Baywatch, and he essentially played that same sort of role, but... No, David Hasselhoff has already captured that role. I don't, I don't care that he's already played it in another thing. It's not like some weird Ghostbusters crossing the streams. You mm. can't have somebody play two parts in the same I thing. I just look at Star Trek. It'd just be amazing. 
He'd be, he'd be amazing. Yes. He'd be insane. <laughs> yeah, stop pandering, Just look James. at the man. The people have spoken. Yeah, so, so The Rock has already played Mitch Buchanan from Baywatch, but I just think he needs another go at it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a fair point. I think, I think we've learned a lot there. And uh, there was a lot of point scoring. And um, Well, I was too busy asking the question, so I didn't actually Oh, no, I, I took it. Well, let's just give 12 each. Um, <laughs> Last homework round now before we'll be running the uh, the final stretch. Erin, uh, what would you like to reboot for us? Um, I've written a review. I decided to stay on okay. brand, and I've also over prepared, which is also <laughs> on brand. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, the eighties is so hot right now, so it's not surprising to us at Screen Rant to see much loved characters from the childhoods of elder millennials reimagined for a new, more media savvy generation. So. Move over Transformers and endless superhero properties and make way for Care Bears 2047. <laughs> the first awesome outing in a near future post-apocalyptic action franchise. <laughs> Giant mechatronic alien bears arrive on Earth ravaged by climate disasters, sectarian violence and chronic toilet paper shortages in search of enough lithium stocks to power their internal batteries so they can continue to destroy life throughout the galaxy, zapping anything organic with their monstrous belly badges. It rules. <laughs> the only thing standing between the bears and the evisceration of the planet are a plucky group of attractive American teens, played by a plucky group of attractive actors from around the world in their late 20s to early 30s. <laughs> they are led by New Zealand's own Rose McIver as Scout, a beautiful yet troubled 17-year-old robotics prodigy <laughs> whose parents were killed by polar bears fleeing the melting ice caps. Together, the teens can't defeat the bears, but maybe using grit, determination, and impressive cheekbones, they can turn the evaders against one another. Awesome. Like all good kaiju-adjacent films, the pleasure's in the destruction. Highlights include watching Funshine Bear irradiate what remains of the Pacific Northwest and seeing Tender Heart Bear tenderise most of Eastern Europe. <laughs> all to the tune of a succession of increasingly epic 1980s hair metal needle drops. The climax comes as Scout's unexpected new ally, the unstable yet sensitive grumpy bear who has been bullied by the others, provokes the bears to turn their care bear stare on one another. His existential, uh, his search for existential purpose as a mindless killing machine, and Scout's attempts to get her over her parental trauma, whilst also keeping her skin looking fresh and dewy, have great emotional heft, as does the touching final montage to you two's With or Without You, in which they say their final goodbye. <laughs> for now. <laughs> it may come as a surprise that greeting card company American Greetings would reboot this beloved franchise in such a gritty manner. However, those with an eye on the stock market will remember that in 2017, they were acquired by Boston Dynamics, <laughs> makers of terrifying robot battle dogs, which was, in turn, recently acquired by Hyundai. This explains both the film's emphasis upon having us come to love zoomorphic uh, killing machines and the preponderance of mid-price family cars used during the film's many high-octane pieces. <laughs> American Greetings this week announced this as the first film in phase one of eight in their new franchise. <laughs> and we're pumped. The Care Bear Cousins make an appearance in the upcoming sequel Care Bears 2048, Killed by Kindness, and we will see individual characters helm their own films and series. While Christopher Nolan's Lucky Strike, a time-bending action drama starring Good Luck Bear, <laughs> and a currently untitled rom-com starring Cozy Heart Penguin and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> as the 
biggest buzz. We are most looking forward to the arrival of another American Greetings character, Strawberry Shortcake, channeling Hannibal Lecter in the adults-only spin-off, queer horror cable anthology, Care Bears for Fears, Life is Delicious. Aaron Harrington, everybody! Aaron, I will give you a ton of points for that, but cool. I, I feel Thank like you. I have to take a couple off the top because having heard the review, I feel like I've already seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, Britain is doing some calculations now, and uh, he's going to tell us in a in a stunning turn of events who has won the show. <clears throat> well, Ben, yes, very very close. There's only one point in it. On forty three points, we have your mama, but our winner is Les Breeders Scaliar with. The Nerd Degree, thank you so much for coming out. It's really cool to be back. Thank you to little Andromeda and to all our nerds. Uh, thank you to Will who put together the slides for us. Yeah. Coming out in, we've got another show coming out in October? Oh, September. September. It's called Mocktober. Yeah. It's called Mocktober. The 30th of September, officially the first day of October. Come back then. <laughs> we'll see you then. Good night. Woo!